In this era of fake news and social media censorship, no wonder Americans have little trust in mainstream media. A Gallup poll taken just prior to the election found that only 9% of those questioned said they trust the media a great deal. About one-third, 33% said they don't trust the media at all. Cheryl Atkinson is a veteran journalist, former CBS investigative reporter, and host of the Sunday morning program Full Measure. Her new book is Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. Cheryl, thank you for taking time to share your insights. In your book, you talk at great length about the media narrative. You say, quote, whatever supports the narrative is automatically awarded credibility. Anything that uh, fights it is treated as questionable. So how did it get to this point? Explain what you see happening today. It used to be a more subtle thing, but I'll bet your viewers have noticed it's almost like there's no longer any pretense of hiding it. It used to be that we sort of self-censored what we put on the news, and we used rational judgments as to what would make it on the nightly newscast with all the news that was out there. But slowly but surely, through a process I described partly in my last book, The Smear, a whole industry understood how to pull our strings and get their nose under the tent of news organizations so that they can decide what we do put on TV, what we don't put on TV, also other news sites, and more importantly, how it's shaped, how it's manipulated to try to shape public opinion in a way that you will not hear viewpoints that they've decided are harmful to their interests or, in other words, off narrative. This didn't begin with Donald Trump, yet he gets a lot of the blame from mainstream media about this. He's depicted as a liar, a clown. Joe Biden even said that to his face in a presidential debate, and I know the media didn't challenge him on that. And now with questionable election results, allegations of fraud, it seems the media is trying to force Trump to concede. It was just the opposite, as you remember, in 2000, when Al Gore challenged the results for 37 days. So why don't they see or acknowledge the different treatment? You know, this is all part of the idea that they're not, in many instances anymore, out to reflect the facts on the ground. They're simply there to put forth a narrative. They're not acting as news as we once knew it or as journalists as we traditionally understood them to be. They're simply trying to forward certain political or corporate interests. So from that standpoint, they're succeeding quite well when they make sure they put forth a narrative. But you use your cognitive dissonance when you watch the news and you say, as you do, just did, this doesn't make sense. I call it the substitution game. When you know that but for the name being changed to a different party, something would be handled entirely differently, you know that there's a narrative at play or there's somebody trying to manipulate an outcome or public opinion. And I like to ask the question when it comes to the election, how would it have been covered if not for the narrative? How would this have been covered if journalists had had approached this from a neutral standpoint. And I think you have a whole different landscape if that had been the case, both building up to this election and what's happened since. Two other examples. It seems that if you don't go along with a narrative that COVID-19 is the biggest disaster to hit the United States, that everything should shut down, all of us should be forced to wear masks, then you're labeled a coronavirus denier. And I know that happened to you. Tell us about what happened to you. Well, you know, I hadn't even really reported much on coronavirus, except in the very beginning, when I was trying to research it, I published all of the, what we knew about the deaths that had occurred so far. And what I published turned out to be very similar to some stories done in the New York Times and the Washington Post. But somewhere along the way, for reasons of narratives and trying to controversialize certain people, I got attacked in a New York Times piece, New York Times piece, 
with completely false information about what reporting I'd done. False quotation. I wasn't the only one, by the way, in this story, where they called all of us coronavirus doubters. And who knows why they decided to pull certain people out and try to controversialize them so people wouldn't listen to our reporting. I only knew it was completely false. Had to hire a lawyer because the New York Times would not take down the false information. And we finally forced corrections that, of course, probably almost nobody saw. But this shows you that there is a big, deep narrative at play. And the New York Times was really on that train from the start. You also have an entire chapter on the Russia investigation. You mentioned that not only did it reveal a massive FBI scandal, but also a massive media scandal, because what the media claimed over two years was completely false. Why were there no media corrections or apologies to Donald Trump, at least, as you point out, to Carter Page or the American people? Without that, many Americans still believe the narrative that the president and others were involved in colluding with the Russians. One of the biggest scandals of our time, how the news media has changed and redefined what it means to be a journalist so that they could weaponize their efforts against the president that they decided they didn't like or who was an outsider and not in with the proper money and political interest that they wanted him to be in with. And the media just threw out basically longstanding ethics rules and guidelines and even proudly said that we were doing it and said it was to address a uniquely dangerous president. I argue that there is never a more important time to follow our guidelines and standards, that's why they exist, than when we perhaps don't like the subject of our reporting. Otherwise, we don't really need them. We need them to make sure our behavior is consistent and our reporting is accurate, even when we have an emotional feeling about somebody we're reporting on. Instead, all of this wild misreporting based on you know, innuendo, things that would never have been reported, anonymous sources, wrong sources, things that wouldn't have been done 10, 15 years ago. A lot of people would have been fired if this had happened. And there were not these mass, as you said, apologies and firings, because I argue this was all mission accomplished on their part. They were not trying to disseminate the actual facts. They were trying to create this air of controversy and chaos for the couple of years that they did. And when it didn't turn out to be true in the end, as perhaps some of them knew all along, they still had accomplished their goal, in my view. What role do you think 24-7 news and social media play in this advancing of a narrative, the advancement of advocacy journalism? Well, it's big, of course, because we're now saturated everywhere we look, any time that we look anywhere with these news narratives, but it's not just on the news. And I talked about this a little bit more in my last book, The Smear, and some in Slanted, the new book. But the idea that if you look at uh, what comedy shows talk about and joke about, if you look at all kinds of things you don't think of, strings are being pulled by these, I call them smear artists, and some of them have done interviews with me, they're not just pulling strings on the news and on social media in these very obvious ways and outrageous ways. They're pulling strings on nearly every form of information that crosses our path in daily lives. It seems the journalism schools are okay with advocacy now. So what do we do? Is it already too late? I think people need to not accept it, continue speaking out about it and understand that when they're trying to make you think that you're the only one who has some crazy view and you're not supposed to think it, you're not supposed to believe that scientific study, whatever it is, know that that's not true. Don't live inside this box. They only win the propagandists if you live your life inside the box that I call the internet and social media and the news. Make sure you have this reality check, listen to your cognitive dissonance, listen to your friends and neighbors, and live in the world as it exists, not the one they're trying to create, not this artificial reality. Okay, the book is Slanted, 
How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. Thanks for being with us, Cheryl. I appreciate you having me.